Hey, everybody, I'm Jody Ganzik, and this is Smarter Home Life. Wait a minute. This is not Smarter Home Life. It's, it's that not? time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 532 for April 3rd, 2018, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Jody Ganzik of Smarter Home Life. I guess this time I'm, not, I'm on your show. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think, and I think, if I'm correct, you're also on my show. I think right? so. I think so. Something like that? It's a crossover episode. So I'm recording <laughs> the audio for Chit Chat Across the Pond, and you're recording the video for Smarter Home Life, and it's just going to be anarchy, I think. What do you think? I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And for my viewers who don't know who Allison Sheridan is, I don't know what you've been doing with your life, that you haven't seen her multiple times on Smarter Home Life, uh, or that you haven't subscribed to her wonderful podcast, SilverEdPodFeed.com. Ooh, good intro. Good intro. A technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. I was going to say, I can't do that like you can. So <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about? Well, I think you uh, you are going to start and uh, uh, then I'm going to come back and turn the tables on you, as I recall. Uh, oh, I think that's right. That's right. Oh, but real quick before we because I was going to talk. Obviously, we're talking about smart home stuff, but uh, <laughs> mention real quick to my viewers i know i haven't produced a lot of content lately i've been very busy with just a number of different things including life um so stay tuned uh, on the video portion of this anyways to the very end and i'll kind of do a quick little update about what's going on didn't want to make a whole like separate video but stay tuned to the end please watch the whole video because i think this is going to be really great um with uh, my bff allison (laughs) who's been getting into more and more you've been getting into the smart home, home automation stuff. Um, it's been a, a year or, or more, right? Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think you're a bad influence. Great. The more I talk to you, the more things end up automated in my home. Meeting <laughs> at the El Gato booth a year and a half or whatever it was. That's right. That's right. So, um, so tell me, uh, this is actually something I like to do. And I've, I've gotten to talk with numerous, you know, viewers during some, um, like actual consulting sessions, but I like to ask them, like, what do you do or what do you want to do with your smart home? And, and as, you know, someone who's a relative smart home newbie, because it's been about a year or so. So what do you, how did you, let's, let's tackle this. Maybe how did you get started? And maybe we kind of just kind of go through a few of the details and then we kind of finish up with, you know, what are you doing today? And how do you feel about this whole smart home thing? Yeah. So at the very beginning, I did what everybody did. The cool kids ran out and bought Hue lights. So uh, I spent a fortune on three Hue lights and two of them work. Uh, I still don't know what's wrong with the third one. I should probably try to contact them. But uh, anyway, we put them in in our family room and we went, oh, look, we can turn them on and off with our phone and it can turn colors. And that was it. That was all we did. So for probably that, that's got to be a good couple of years where they just sat there being really expensive light bulbs. Um, But the second thing we did turned out to be really cool. We got a device, uh, a a hot water pump for our water heater. It's really hard not to say hot water heater, but people get mad at me when I say that because it's not a hot water heater. It's a water heater. But um, our house is plumbed oddly so that it takes absolutely forever for wa- hot water to get to our the shower in our master bathroom. And uh, in California, we don't have a lot of extra water, so it seemed like a big waste. I mean, I'm talking like two minutes to get hot water. It was really bad. That's a long time. So, 
Yeah, it was, I mean, plus really boring. Um, but anyway, we got this uh, hot water pump that we attach to our uh, water heater. And then there's a valve you put at the farthest sink in the house. And then it basically, during the time of day you tell it to, it keeps a, a it fills the pipe with hot water and just keeps it sitting there waiting. So you're not keeping the whole thing hot. You're just keeping this channel of hot water. And um, so we put a Wemo switch on that. And that allowed Steve to program that when we got up in the morning, we'd have hot water. Then it'd be cold in the middle of the morning and then be hot again when we're washing dishes at lunch and then be hot again when we're doing dishes at, at dinner time, and then hot again when we're getting ready to go to bed. And it has been the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I turn on the hot water and it's like 15 seconds, like a normal house. And we could have done some of that with um, other devices, but to be able to have that granularity to say on, off, on, off, on, off all day long was, was really cool. It's a and- perfect application really is. Yeah, yeah, it works really really well. So that was kind of like we went, "Yay, that was a great one." Um one of the coolest things about the Wemo, the way the Wemos work, when they get a, a firmware update, they simply stop working. So I turn on the shower and the water's cold. I got a firmware <laughs> update. So I I thought that was actually a really good way to do it, just going, "No, I'm not going to do anything until you until you talk to me." That's, that's actually really strange. Yeah. Talk to we. I should talk to Wemo. Well, what else that. is it going to do? It's in a closet. It's in my hot water uh, pump closet, my water heater uh, a closet, right? So there's nothing else it could do to get my attention. Am I supposed to could start beeping or something? Maybe it tried to get your attention in some other way for maybe a few days and it gave up. So it just said, no, I'm going to. It may have. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it could send me an email or something. But it, I yeah. But, uh, but it did restart. I, I hope uh, once you applied the, uh, yeah. the uh, oh, yeah, it was fine. Update. Just oh, firmware update. Boom. It was all good. So I thought it was a good way to do it. So there was kind of a long lull where that's all that was going on in our house. And then the ring video doorbell came around and that was kind of, um, that was a really, really big deal for us. I've been uh, super happy with that. A few things, not so much, but it's been uh, working pretty well. Probably the main advantage for me is uh, we travel a lot. And so I'll get a package dropped off on my doorstep and people steal packages. So I can call my neighbor, text my neighbor when I'm in France and say, hey, you know, can you uh, run over and grab that for me? Uh, and that's worked out really well, at least for me. I don't know how well that's working out for her. Um my biggest thing on that, and uh, I can send you a link uh, for your show notes if you want, is Steve had to create an adapter for it, though, because it points uh, the Ring Video doorbell points up so high that you can't see the ground. The, the angle is completely wrong. I did, a, uh, I did a little skit thing. You would like it. It was your kind of thing where I took a picture of Shaq and I held it at his height in front of the doorbell. There's a good six inches above Shaquille O'Neal's height if he ever comes to my door. You can still see it. Yeah, I remember you telling me a little bit of the story. And yeah, send me the, the, the link and I put in the show notes. Yeah, and well, ironically, me, Shaq started yeah. advertising for them. Well, how funny. <laughs> But it's it is odd though, and I almost wonder, could this have been some odd defect with the one that specifically you got? Because no, that's the, no, they sell big. a wedge now. They oh. sell you a little wedge, but we we had looked into that to tilting ours. Uh, yeah. But it it's so bad that we would have had to tilt it down like forty degrees, and I think they mm-hmm. sell them up to thirty degrees, and it would look really stupid too. So yeah. instead, Steve Steve put a a, a little convex mirror on the on above it so the light hits that and then points back down at the ground so you can still see the people but there's this weird kind of little uh little oval above their heads but i can see if there's a package on my doorstep now 
it's almost like those extra little pieces of mirror that you can put on your uh, your car. Uh, yeah, that is what he got. Yeah, the, the little yeah. one you can stick on a side view mirror. Well, it's always a way to solve something with some non-tech solution, I guess. You know, a a low-tech solution for a high-tech device. I really think Steve should start an Etsy store for it because Lindsay asked him to, our daughter Lindsay asked him to make one for her too, so he did. (laughs) So then uh, I did something really dumb. I bought an Ecobee thermostat at the beginning of the summer, and uh, that doesn't make any sense at all for where I live. First of all, I live in Southern California. And we, we're by the beach, so there's no central air conditioning, which meant my my uh, thermostat had absolutely nothing to do for probably seven months after I bought it. I just so I, your, your summers don't get above um, ninety degrees. Um, they actually do from from time to time. In fact, the last few years they've been getting hotter and hotter. Uh, but uh, I have a, a small air conditioning unit for my studio bedroom. So, uh, but that isn't controlled by my thermostat, so it didn't right. do any good. So that that was kind of a dumb thing to do. And in reality, you know, when it really gets chilly, it dips into the 50s down here. So um, it really doesn't have much to do. That one's kind of kind of silly. However, we'll come back to the to that at the very end. Um, Well, I did figure out recently that I could uh, lift my watch and ask Siri to turn off the heater because it does have a tendency to come on when I'm recording a show. And and that's kind of a problem. But now I can do it with my watch. There you go. But there's more to that later. Okay. Uh, let's see. Then you convinced me to get an iDevices switch the last time you were on. And right. uh, luckily, that one was right before Christmas. So we put that on uh, for the Christmas lights. Who are interested in what that device looks like? Yeah. And that has been sitting dormant since January 2nd. But it isn't dormant today. As of when I was writing up the notes for this, I, f- I figured out something to do with it. So that uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. Oh. Another thing to come back to. Okay. <laughs> well, they're now, actually interwoven. Oh, now didn't, speaking of cameras, didn't you get, and I don't know if you're still using it or not, because I know that your experience was not that great. Um, the, the D-Link, the first uh, home oh, kit. Yeah. The D-Link webcam. Yeah. Um, yeah. We still have that. It was 150 bucks. Oh, sorry. I just talked over you there. Oh, no worries. No. Has it, has the D link been, uh, D, um, I was going to make up something clever. Has it been dumped? Has, has it been? Undone? Well, no, it's still there. Uh, the problem with it is, uh, that it's, um, it was a home compatible device, like you mentioned, which I thought would have them be a little bit more up to date on security, but it turns out D link is really, really bad about updating their devices to, um, do firmware updates for big vulnerabilities. There was a the thing called the crack vulnerability last October, yeah. I think it was. And I have not checked today, but as of about a month ago, this D-Link uh, device has still not been fixed for it, as have most of about 80 or so devices they have listed on the website. It was like 85% of the devices that they sell that are Wi-Fi uh, devices have not been patched. So that I'm is- really disappointed in that. D-Link is, is one of those names that I just... I don't hear that much about lately, except for, you know, last year with the, with the news. I mean, granted, I'm not in there. I'm not in the market for a new router or a new something or uh, something else, but uh, I just don't, I don't hear their name that, that often these days. My experience with them would lead me, me personally to not ever buy from them again. Um, But while I was uh, at CES talking to the chief information security officer for D-Link, Joe uh, LaGreca was with me and he suggested a little $20 webcam called the uh, WiseCam. And I bought one of those. The picture is better than the $150 uh, Omna. It's not HomeKit compatible, but 
you know, I, I've got a, I've got a special network for those people, those devices. And uh, so that one's really, really good. I like the picture better and it does a lot more. It has free online storage for, I think, 15 days, something like that. So I can, uh, it's got motion detectors. It'll detect if your smoke detector, or your CO sensor has gone off. Interesting. I was, they contacted me as well. And it was during the time that I just couldn't promise them uh, when, when people contact me for reviews, I, I like to try to, if they send me something, Turn I like to try quickly. to quickly and I just couldn't. So I said, it sounds like a great thing. I, you know, hit me up in six months, but just, I, just to sort of interject on, on the home kit and sort of cameras and other things with iOS 11.3 coming out for those who are in the iOS and, and uh, Apple world, and that unlocks the uh, the feature where uh, manufacturers not only I think they've most likely been working on this, but now in iOS eleven point three, devices that are HomeKit that want to be HomeKit compatible don't have to have the chipsets in them. Manufacturers oh, can that's kind of add it later, um, or you know retroactively add it. And some may do it, some may just decide to not do it anyways. But that's out today, and it was a big. I was doing some additional reading. Apple had made it sound like that last summer when they announced it, that it was instantly going to be a thing. Turns out it didn't happen until just now. So Yeah, um, yeah. I think it actually came out a couple of days ago, but yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Good see uh, what well, we, we hope. We'll just make the guess uh, that there may be some more um, uh, announcements coming up with the, over the next few months of products that weren't HomeKit compatible and that people were hoping they would be and manufacturers could again, push out a firmware update and say, hey, now we're HomeKit compatible. So we shall see. Oh, that's that's really, really good news. I'm sure. Uh, that, yeah. HomeKit. Yeah. And that, it's a it's a funny little company that, it, you know, they're buying a product that's actually out of China and the, uh, you can find that same looking device a lot of places. Um, but they've got some really good software in it and that's kind of their magic sauce. But they uh, they've got the Wisecamp 2 coming out and it was really interesting. I ordered two of them and because uh, now I want these things everywhere. I mean, they're just really, really fun. Um, but so the, be- what's that? price you can't beat it yeah just sprinkle them everywhere loan them to people whatever um you can even take them outside and plug them into a battery pack and use them because they're just usb powered so that's plenty of power for it but anyway um i ordered two of them and i got an email from the ceo that the blast email saying that they were that he was unhappy with the new detectors in the wisecam 2 that there was uh, some manufacturing problems some dust on the sensors he blamed himself because he had rushed his supplier and he said it was all on him and he felt really bad and he would understand if people canceled but here's what it was and i loved how nerdy it was i mean it had he had pictures of the detector with the dust on it in the emails it was really 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 cool cool. yeah so they're shipping now they're just uh just yesterday i got the uh, notification the shipping should be shipped out in the next couple of weeks so anyway excellent but you know things were still kind of slow but what really made a big difference to me and this again you are a bad influence the august smart lock oh yeah that's that's the that's the the big the big one of the home of the uh, that that'll be the one that'll if you get a smart lock you're you're roped into the smart home world. Yeah, this is this is transformative. So um, the the Joe's talked to you, your his audience, and I've talked to mine before. In fact, I accidentally did the uh, review twice, so I will tell it again on my show. Um, the cool thing about the August Smart Lock is, from the outside, nobody can tell you have a smart lock, but from the inside, it's magic sauce. Uh, as long as you remember to bring your phone with you, you never have to use your keys again. And I realized I've started a, a, to 
expect that my home automation will just do my bidding without me telling it to. So I, I, I unlock my door by turning a big knob and then I leave the house and I get about, uh, I think they say 200 feet away, something like that from my house. And I get a notification on my watch telling me that the door has been locked. I come back within uh, you know geofencing range and my door unlocks and I walk into the house. It's it's so happy making. And one of the other things is it makes a happy sound when it unlocks. And so I know when Steve has come back from the grocery store, I, for some reason, I don't hear the rumble of the garage door, but I hear that high frequency. It goes, and it's all happy sounding. And I go, oh, Steve's home. Uh, it is it is my favorite home automation device. If I had to pick one thing to keep, that's the one I would keep. I love my August Smart Lock. They They really... Uh, it's very much akin to, and I think you and I discussed discussed this previously. You know, when cars, uh, you know, I, I had the um, the uh, not the original, but the second generation Prius, you know, here, and it was it was the first vehicle that I had many years ago that had the kind of you know walk up to it, and as soon as you grab the door handle because of the, you know the the key fob in your pocket, it unlocks, and so it's kind of the same for you know, yeah. the smart home. You know, and now on, on top of that with Bluetooth, it can actually detect when you're in range and then auto unlock. And and I like, although I always check <laughs> that I always have to have my keys or my phone in my pocket because, again, of that automatic relock feature that is optional. You don't have to turn that on, but right. it's it's thing to think, all right, you know, I just leave the house. It locks automatically and uh, and it's done. I've had the August. um uh, and I had I had another smart lock that I had in place. You can't see it; uh, it's behind kind of the uh, door. I was going to say door number one. Um, but anyways, um, I've basically had a smart lock in one form or another for about over three years at this point. And the August definitely needed some improvement when they came out, but they've been issuing you know firmware updates and so forth. And they actually just got acquired by. I think it's the parent company of Yale, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. So many companies, so many smart home companies have now been acquired over the past six months. Yeah, August Ring get bought by was it Amazon? On so many companies. Um, Sorry, so I talked over you. Say that again. Ring uh, was bought by Amazon. This is just recently. Uh, iDevices was acquired. I uh, Hubble, but not the not the not the space telescope, obviously. <laughs> Several other companies have all, all been acquired, which which is good because they've got some additional stability. Sometimes the smart home companies, if they're just selling hardware and they kind of run out of steam, they can easily just go bye bye. Yeah. Um, so it's good to know that they're they're part of a, a larger group and uh, and that someone else also you know strongly believes in the product. But August has several varieties now. Um, because I think you'll agree with me the the main one because I think you basically have the the newer version of the one that I have. It's a good size. It has to fit four batteries and a motor, and it's it's you know has you can. Two. Oh, yours yours two only batteries. has two. Batteries. Yeah. Wow. Now yours is the standard the 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 round one, right? Yeah, the big round one, smart home or smart lock. What is it called? Uh, Pro or something? Smart lock Pro. The original version takes four batteries, so they've hmm. made that. They've made more efficiency gains uh, there as well, but they have a slim one that fits. That's a little bit slimmer um, horizontally. So if your door doesn't have that much space oh, uh, to good. put, the, so a few varieties. But and the other thing you about are, the Pro is it has a uh, it has a, a Wi-Fi module that you plug in near the door, and because of that, I think that talks Bluetooth to the lock, and then the the. Um, the Wi-Fi thing talks then to your home network. And by that, then if somebody came to my house, I needed to let them in. I could let them in. That's right. 
And you can, there's a, and it's weird if we get into kind of like the, the technical details of it, the, the August connect, which is their Bluetooth to Wi-Fi bridge allows that communication to happen uh, within their own app and within kind of connected services like IFTTT and lady a and, and so forth and Google assistant. But if you're only in the home kit world, you actually don't need the home kit. Uh, you don't need the connect device because it'll home kit will actually talk directly to the lock over Bluetooth. Oh, it will. It will. That's that's my understanding. <laughs> I did not know that. I, I'd be surprised with the range. I mean, it has to go around the corner to my uh, Apple TV, but that's interesting. I thought I did need that. I think, well, and it comes with the Pro, so it's kind of like they're packaging it in just in case you're not using HomeKit, because you can obviously use the, the lock completely, you know, without HomeKit and just use it with the app. Um, so they give you a few different options. Okay. Um, kind of like the way that they they do have the pro, you know, kind of bundle now because it kind of gives you everything in one and it doesn't, you don't, you don't have to sit there. A lot of consumers can be turned off to home automation because they, they look at a product and they're like, well, do I need this version of it or that version of it? I don't even know what I'm going to use. Yeah. You know, too when- many, too many variables make you paralyzed sometimes. That's right. I did want to talk about, uh, Denise Crown suggested, uh, did a review of the Hue motion sensor. And that was another thing that took things up a level. So our, as I mentioned, our Hue lights were just a party trick. We finally just turned them to like slightly browner than bright white lights. And that was it, you know, tan, whatever, you know, non, non annoying color. Um, but we, uh, got the Hue motion sensor and then, we stopped having to turn that light on and off anymore, the one in that in that room. And so now we walk in and the light turns on, we walk out, the light turns off. And at certain times of day, if it's like the middle of the night, well, you're probably getting up to get a glass of water and you really don't want to be blinded with full bright light. So it just, it has almost like a nightlight mode. It's a real dim mode we're able to have it in. And that again, like walking up to your car, like walking up to the smart lock, I don't ever have to worry about the lights in that room ever again. And I was I know this sounds stupid, but I gather all my stuff up. I got my water, I got my purse, my iPad, my phone, and I've just fed the dog. And I went, ah, I got to turn the light off. And I go over and, you know, I'm spilling water all over. So having that light just go off is great. And I was able to connect that to uh, using HomeKit. I uh, connected that to the August Smart Lock. So when the door unlocks, the light turns purple. And when it locks again, it turns white. So we have a visual indicator along with the little sound to make sure we always know that that door locks itself when we come into the house. That's that is, the, both of those are, are great use cases. Um, and that's part of why when you're getting started in the smart home world, this is why all of these, you know, tips, your, your use cases, my use cases, you know, what, what we do uh, can serve as inspiration to you, the viewer, or to someone who's just getting started in, in the smart home world. Because even though there's all these great products, what works for us may not work for you. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because in doing these show notes, I was I was kind of trying to put in order the order that I did things. And I was thinking about the thermostat and I was thinking about... Um, uh, one of the other things I do when I do the show is I turn off the phone. So Steve installed a physical click switch on our phone in this room so that we could uh, just easily turn the phone off. And it's actually a switch on the phone line. It disconnects the phone line. It's not a... Uh, a physical yeah. phone line? Okay, I'm almost <laughs> 60, okay? Yeah, I got, a, I got a landline. I'm old, okay? Get off my lawn! Anyway... Yes. So there's a physical switch on the phone. And, um, uh, but I was writing up this list and I thought, wait a minute, 
I have an iDevices switch sitting in a box over here waiting for it to be Christmas again. So I installed that on the phone and I, and I, and I, it's HomeKit compatible. So I was able to call it a bedroom phone and I have a little button. I could turn it on and off. And I thought, well, wait a minute. What about HomeKit has these things called scenes that Joe's always talking about. Maybe I could make one that would do the light and the phone. Or I'm sorry, the, the phone and the, um, and the thermostat at the same time. So now if I yell, hey, S lady, it's <laughs> showtime. My phone turns off and the heater turns off. And I only did that because I started thinking about it, putting these pieces together. And that is exactly right. In fact, and you may have been inspired because I think I've mentioned it to you as well. Uh, I, I think I've certainly mentioned it on my own show. I have a studio mode. In fact, we're in my, my place, which is so small, is in studio mode right now, which does similar things. It actually cuts the power because I have a, it's not an iDevices, but it's another one of these remote switches and it's on uh, the power to the fridge, which is right behind me, which makes a lot of noise when okay. I'm, when it's on. Uh, and it does, uh, it turns, adjust the air conditioning, adjust the fan speed. And then in an hour and a half from when I start that scene so that I don't forget, like I've done a few times before I had that scene set up, it brings the power to the fridge back on so that nothing actually goes bad or melts in the freezer. Oh, so that sets a, a time limit, huh? <laughs> I think I think the Mac actually announces something like, oh my goodness, your time's up or something. So <laughs> oh, good. So, but I do think you make a really important point. I, when we kept wanting to get into home automation because all the cool kids were doing it, but we couldn't figure out what problem we were trying to solve. So it took us a long time to actually solve real problems. We bought a bunch of stuff where it was like, oh, that's really cool. I can turn my light pink, but I don't want pink <laughs> lights, you know? Right. Uh, I, I don't have it danced to anything. So uh, that was, it's still kind of getting into my head, this idea of being able to automate scenes and, and trying to figure out where HomeKit has hidden that process and that sort of thing. And it's something, it's funny because I have all this in my head because I've been planning to get this done. I just haven't had the, the time to sit down in front of the camera and get all this dialogue correct. But I'm going to be finishing out my getting started with the Smart Home series and one of the things I talk about that I will be talking about in the series is that when, even if you've, like yourself, you've had some of these devices for a year, uh, maybe some of them not quite a year, but just now after living with them and experimenting with them, you're now finding the use cases. And sometimes it does take time. It's taken me time. And I've been doing this for a long time relatively, but only really the past six or seven years is kind of the modern era of, of the smart home where kind of like everything is connected and mm -hmm. we keep and manufacturers keep introducing new fun things to do with their devices. So I get to come up with new ways to control things that make more sense than, you know, like physically pressing buttons or yelling at you know, lady a or, or whatnot to, to get something to work. Cause like you said, the other part of this is getting everything to kind of happen in the background and magically and to get that to happen and to just have it just help your life and not interfere in your life or make it more difficult is not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're somewhat fiddly. But hey, I want to turn the tables. Enough okay. about me. We queried the Nocilla Castaways for uh, some questions, so we are going to play uh, Stump the Home Automation Guy. Are you uh, are you up for the challenge? I'm up for the challenge, and we we tried to get like some kind of like sound effects thing going before the show, but that didn't work out. So <laughs> no, like there's, there's probably no right or wrong answers. So we'll 
we'll just leave that where it is. Well, most of these questions are from the audience, but I would like to sneak one in ahead of time, ahead of everybody, because, hey, I have the microphone. They can't get ahead of me in line. My first question is, why are these home automation devices only 2.4 gigahertz? Why can't they work on the 5 gigahertz network? It's That's a really good question. Um, and it's it's really about it's 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 a frequency question it's kind of more of a a physical question one might think well the 5 gigahertz you know band is newer maybe it's more expensive it really turns out that the 2.4 gigahertz being a lower frequency this is your wi-fi we're talking about wi-fi devices that are uh, smart home enabled like like the previously mentioned i devices which this is this is home kit compatible but it also does work with uh, lady a and the google assistant but it's wi-fi and it's 2.4 gigahertz because the lower frequency can travel farther and it can penetrate walls and uh... other objects the five gigahertz, of course, gets you faster throughput, better data, um, you know, faster, you know, 4K, you know, Netflix and so forth. But, but you um, don't need that. You don't need that. You, these these devices, a lot. that's also kind of, it's not directly related, but a lot of people worry, oh my goodness, if I put all these devices in my home, am I going to use up all this bandwidth? The answer is really no, because the devices only send out little tiny commands saying, turn on, turn off, dim to this brightness, or hey, there was motion detected. They're really not sending much. but And okay. that's the reason really on the, on the 2.4. The challenge is, now, HomeKit sometimes takes care of this, because we all know, and, and you've gone through this especially, and, and I go through this when I test devices, when you add devices to your network, and if your Wi-Fi, say you're like your iPhone or your Android phone, is on your 5 gigahertz network, because sometimes people will have the two networks on their router. Separated. What can happen, though, is when you hook up one of these devices, it sometimes will will not figure out that you have... This depends on a million factors, so I can't state all of them. So my recommendation is when you're adding a Wi-Fi device, you're setting up a new smart home device that's a Wi-Fi, and you're on a 5 gigahertz and a 2.4 gigahertz network on your phone, switch over first to your 2.4 gigahertz uh, network. And you'll know if you have both of these uh, set up on your router. Um, do that first, because then it will easily find, uh, it will easier communicate um, and figure out, especially if the networks are named two separate names, that can uh, you can run into a big problem there. Oh, yeah, you, you definitely have to be careful with that. The data going across the networks is the same, but the, sometimes the devices just, they won't be able to find each other. So switch to 2.4 gigahertz first, unless your smart home device is, is one of the few that actually has a 5 gigahertz capability, but most likely not. So I run into that a lot. There's another problem. If you have a mesh router, you usually can't do that. You can't tell it which network is the 2.4. And I learned about this on the Mac Geek app. Dave Hamilton was uh, reading a letter from a, from an uh, audience member who said the solution there, because you can't tell which one you're on. You can't, you can't identify that. So the, the, the uh, person who wrote in said, just go really far from your router. And the only thing you're going to be able to get is your 2.4. And that actually fixed the problem. All right. Well, if you have that ability, I live in a place, my place ends about here. Not really, but, <laughs> but anyways. You can hold I have your hands out and touch place. both sides. Yeah, of about this big. Um, but anyways, uh, I have never been able to test these, test these uh, mesh networks because I live in a forest, a tiny little place. You would have to but, get a really long extension cord and go out in the yard. <laughs> the street down the down the way um but you, you're right you bring up a really good point and more and more people are getting these mesh wi-fi networks because 
number one, we just have more Wi-Fi devices in our homes. Uh, they now make, um, I forget, it was, I think it's Netgear that actually came out recently. They announced it at CES, and I think it's now shipping. For those who, who want mesh networking or, or Wi-Fi, not only across your home, but across your whole backyard, there's even an outdoor device, I think, from Netgear now as well that'll give you another, like, 2,500 square feet of Wi-Fi uh, into, your, into your backyard, and it's outdoor rated, so... Allison is holding a Netgear Orbi out in front of the uh, in front of the camera, camera right here, so you can see it. Um, well, I, like, this is not the outdoor one, but I tested the indoor one. <laughs> Hit the microphone. Yeah, that was me <laughs> banging my net. Okay, let's, that's a good answer. I really like that. I never thought of that answer. Um, let's move on to the next one. Um, Frank Petrie wrote in it a question that um, if you don't answer, I will. Um, sure. Frank says, "I'm handicapped and live by myself in a studio apartment." I need to automate only a handful of things. My question, is it worth investing for so few uses? Well, the answer, and you can actually take a look. I did a, um, a video with a viewer of mine a few months ago uh, on the home kit. Uh, he, he bought it uh, and he was going to have it for his own purposes. But he, he said, you know, do you want me to review it? And we'll kind of do a chit chat uh, together. And he is uh, disabled. He's in a wheelchair. It was the home kit enabled um, uh, bridge device to the uh, Chamberlain slash um, LiftMaster garage door openers. And he explained how home automation does help him in his uh, daily life. So, oh, answer, yeah, I would and, think it would be huge. That would be fantastic. Absolutely. absolutely. It's it's only um, I can include a, a video uh, notes uh, or the uh, link in the notes, but it's it's a couple of videos ago in in the Smarter Home Life YouTube channel, and it was a really good episode. He, he talked a lot about how it helps because really, if you think about it, automation. Even simple things like, you know, opening doors automatically, smart locks, but not just smart locks, but like door openers, uh, garage door openers, lights, anything that you maybe can't reach or it just becomes too much of a burden. Uh, controlling things with voice or through, you know, sensors and so forth. That is huge. Yeah, if I would you think just- voice would be the cat's meow for somebody who had uh, any kind of motor control problems, right? Absolutely. So it really, it, but it comes back down to, and this is what I, I talk to everybody. And, and again, this will be in the, uh, in my getting started series is the first thing you try anyways, when you're uh, trying to figure out um, when you're getting started with the smart home is what do you want to do or what do you want to automate? And again, like we've said, sometimes that's a hard question to ask or to answer because, well, you're not sure. Right. You just want to be, you want to be one of the cool kids, but you can ask yourself in your daily life, what tasks are challenging or difficult that you could automate, that you could make um, you know, easier for yourself. And I think uh, for someone who's disabled, that's probably easier than uh, for many of us where the smart home is, is definitely helpful and convenient. But some people could say, well, it's a first world problem. Um, but for there are those absolutely who it would absolutely benefit. And the question then comes down to cost, you know, how much um, you know what your budget is. Um, the, the great thing about the smart home still to this day is it is what you make of it. If you want to start small with, you know, like like Allison's talked about, the ultimate <laughs> device, a smart lock that unlocks the door for you, um, or start with smart lights or some sort of, um, even in the security world now, you can kind of build your own DIY security system because security is really just sensors sending you alerts. That's really the core of what security does. Hmm. Um, you can have a whole set up with an ADT and have them, you know, monitor your home and call the police, but you can have apps that just notify you if a motion sensor goes off. That's kind of what I do, but. Oh, okay. 
question is identify the, the little things that are causing you um, grief or friction. Excellent word. Excellent word. Um, and tackle those first and look at the various options that are out there. Uh, obviously I have many uh, videos that are out there um, on all the different products, but again, take a look at the one, uh, the, uh, the MyQ, uh, I think it's, it's titled MyQ uh, Chamberlain uh, review. And I think I also talk about um, how home automation can help the disabled. So it's definitely, it's a great video. Yeah. Let's, let's get a hold of that. I, I think maybe I, I keep trying to figure out what would have helped me figure it out a lot faster than I did because I made these big investments and then nothing happened and it was there was no magic in my life. I had the lights turning pink. I didn't care. But if I and we even tried to sit down and say, okay, what do we care about? And we thought, you know, nothing. <laughs> you know, we couldn't. We really couldn't come up with anything we wanted. But we we uh, we did think about the lock, but we were scared of the lock. And then we got over that. That was that was a a, a big hump. Um, okay. Sometimes it's good to just make not even um, I really like to call it a wish list. Like, you know, if if money were no object or if or if, or if the pain of, of going through the process, I don't want to say pain, but sometimes it can be a little bit of a, a little bit, a little bit of a challenge to set these things up. If that were no issue, what's your wish list of like, yes, we would like to walk up to the door and it should unlock. Now, nowadays, I actually want the door to just open. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do I have to turn that handle? What's up with that? Exactly. Um, but things, you know, again, things like, you know, uh, a smart thermostat, which there are much less expensive models than the, you know, the original kind of sexy one, the Nest uh, that exists now that it can pay for themselves faster. And, you know, basically smart lighting, uh, security systems, you know, and HVAC, you know, air conditioning and so forth. Um, those are the top categories in the smart home. So those would be and- probably things that you're going to think of. And whether you're disabled or not, something like a smart thermostat can actually save you a lot of money if you do have actual heat and air conditioning requirements for where you live, right? But even it can, even if you only have, let's just say you only have heat like you do, um, the ability, even the basic ability, and this is touted by the manufacturers themselves, but there have been the users that have kind of done their own little energy studies and, and found this to be true. The fact that the thermostat will be intelligent enough to understand when you're not home or that everyone has either gone to sleep or there's no motion left in the house, uh, which generally is supposed to mean that you're not home. And it, it most, they usually tie that in with your uh, smartphone location so they can really positively know that you're not there for that uh, thermostat to make that adjustment to away mode automatically, which means that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to you know, think, oh, did we forget to turn it up or turn it down? Usually that can result in 5% savings or, or maybe even up to 10% once you add on the other kind of smarts of the thermostat. And that huh. can help to solve over time. Okay. All right. Well, let's move so along. <laughs> All right. Uh, so far, it's uh, two points for Joe, I think. Yes. Sa- Sandy Foster. Chocolate bars. There you go. <laughs> Sandy Foster asks, uh, I don't have much in the way of home automation. Our garage door opener can be accessed via Wi-Fi, but it's not HomeKit compatible. Ditto for the alarm system. The ring doorbell is also standalone. However, we did install the Ecobee 4 smart thermostat this past Christmas. The Ecobee has an app for the iPhone and it works well. However, I can also see the Ecobee in in my home, which is the, the name for HomeKit. My question concerns why I should use one app over the other and what are the advantages of each? Since I don't have any other HomeKit devices, I'm not sure there's any advantage there. Also, why do I see each of the three Ecobee sensors in the main unit twice in the home app? Oh, can I do the last one? I know the answer to that. 
<laughs> sure, sure. So the the ecobees come with these little uh, little sensors. They actually sense two different things. They're sensing temperature and motion. So you you see each one twice. Ah, uh, yes. That's yes. why they're there twice. But I'll let you do the hard one of of why should she use uh, the HomeKit app, the Home app, versus using the standalone app for the ecobee. There we go. Okay. Um, and as I'm kind of like tapping here, and I'll just wait for this to update. So, and I, oddly enough, I have not um, tested the, I have some experience with like physically installing it, but it was in a uh, kind of a, a, a home that my friend was uh, flipping. I actually don't have the experience yet with the Ecobee thermostats, although I do have, and I'm going to be reviewing this soon, although I have yet to take it out of the box. This is the new Ecobee uh, smart switch that oh. has a built right into the the switch so it's a light switch it has some sensors on board and you can literally talk to it as you would in an amazon echo sorry joe uh for some reason every whenever i talk it is a hundred percent cutting your voice out so um I, I i'm trying really hard not to talk but that's not my strength did you just say it has lady a built into it i did yes okay thank you okay there we go um so the so I can't I can't speak specifically to the Ecobee app itself, but I can speak to other apps. And if <laughs> I'm this, unfortunately, is not helping me here. But let but me in a generic sense. Why would you use the home app over a dedicated app? Right. And I'll, I'll kind of bring my iPhone up to the camera and we'll hope it kind of works. Uh, let me bring the brightness down just a touch. So there'll be a couple of devices that have no response here. So just this is just uh, some devices that have no no battery. So this is my um, home app. I'm going to get out of the picture. So hopefully okay, you it probably will... want to bring it backwards. It's it's too fuzzy. OK. All right. There so we, we see a bunch of uh, little squares. Uh, this is the Apple Home app. This is the um, this is the app that brings everything together in the HomeKit universe, so that you don't have to use all of the manufacturer apps. But you basically get, aside from going into say smart lighting, which you can change the color and so forth, um, you get you know for temperature sensors, you get the humidity, you get the uh, this the um, the temperature as well. But that's it. If you if you happen to tap on the details, I just see it's that's what it is in the backyard. And that's all I get. The details screen actually just gives me my, you know, switches for like uh, notifications and, 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 you know, what I want, what I want to call it. But if I go into the dedicated app, which is from Elgato, and because it hasn't downloaded the data in a while, otherwise it would show this lovely bar graph. Um, I get something that's a little bit more customizable and will actually for the sensor in the backyard uh, once it actually pulls all the data down from the sensor, I'll get bar graphs, I'll get a lot more information, um, and I'll get dedicated. Um, actually, I think you get the battery uh, information in uh, in HomeKit as well now for, for battery-operated devices. Let me see if it actually has some. <laughs> so let me see I, if I, I can uh, cap- encapsulate. What's the word? Anyway, shrink down what you're saying a little bit is if you have a dedicated app, you frequently have a lot more control and things that you can do in it. In the Ecobee thermostat app, for example, they've got graphs and all this stuff. For some reason, my graphs never work, maybe because it never has anything to do. But uh, but there's a lot more detail in there. But if from HomeKit, that's where you can start creating things like scenes and automations that uh, that tie things together. Uh, same thing with Lady A. You can do a lot more. Uh, she could probably tie her stuff together with Lady A rather than uh, uh, the S Lady, right? Uh, absolutely. 
And that you you took the words right out of my mouth. I was literally about Sorry. to say, no, it's it's fine. Uh, we 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 know each other so well. Um, but but anyways, that, that that's exactly right. So you get more control. You get some more detail, especially in say uh, say like smart lighting apps. HomeKit will give you the basics of you know changing a light to a different percentage or a different color. And specifically with uh, LifeX and their smart lights, you get a lot of extra options and animations and things that you just don't get in HomeKit. Oh, good. So, I asked for those for my birthday there you go i i hope i think you'll be pleased with what i recommended <laughs> um and, and in that case to do all the fun features with it you'll have to use the lifex app um okay but they do that also uh the home app just like uh the home app acts and and other there are a few other not very many maybe two or three out there that that are also kind of like home kit control apps um, that can that bring all your devices in. They try to make it a, a nice, easy interface so that you don't have to go to the other apps because for your day-to-day use of your devices, you don't necessarily need to go to the individual manufacturer apps. Again, the, the same goes for like you were just saying with, with voice control, you bypass the app entirely. Unless you need to go in and see something specific, you know, 80 to 90% of what you do with home automation largely becomes routine from day to day. Right, um, right. So the good stuff you're probably not fiddling with as much and not needing either app. But you make a good point I hadn't thought about is is the uh, the the consolidated things, the the Lady A or the, the S Lady, uh, being able to talk to my watch and tell her it's showtime or turn off the heater or turn off the phone, turn off the light. Uh, when I do need to do those things manually, that's really slick. And that only happens. That's not because of the Ecobee app or because of the, uh, the iDevices switch. It's because they're talking to HomeKit and HomeKit is doing that. Right. Now, speaking of that, do, do you have another device? Do you have another scene that you can talk to it? Uh, you can talk to your watch when the show's over that you can say either it's showtime's it's over. Over. Yeah. Cool. That cool. took me a while to get that all working right, but yeah, not that not as hard as you would think. The hard part was trying to figure out where scenes were. Yeah, I, Apple needs to kind of throw the HomeKit, uh, the Home app, out the window and kind of bring that back. I'm From a UI that perspective, functionality, yeah. I think it does the right things. Well, yeah, but it, if you haven't been in it in the last couple of weeks, you'll sit there going, "Where is it? I can't find these things." Like if you don't make something a favorite, a scene a favorite, it's not on the home screen. And then you have to figure out what room it's in. So I'm saying they're flipping through and then I'm going, okay, well, the phone is in the bedroom. Maybe the scene is sitting over there and there it was. And oddly enough, for as many apps that Apple has and, and how good they are relatively with like spotlight search, there's no search function. You can't pull oh, down yeah. the bar home app and just say, hey, show me the light or, you know, it, it's weird to me. So maybe this, yeah. this me to, uh, to think or it makes me think that uh, Apple will introduce some kind of really big update to it uh, with, you know, at, at WWDC a couple months away here. Yeah. You know, I, hope- I think that a lot about stuff like uh, why haven't they made messages work in iCloud and, and, and you know, iCloud syncing through messages and how come iBooks author is still an abomination and how come, how come I've given up hoping that they would make things better. I just wait for the next thing that I want them to do and hope it's good. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Nick Lowell says the thing that keeps me from starting is not knowing in which standard slash spec to invest. 
Remember back in the day, everyone was getting into, what was it, something like X10 for home automation? I can't be arsed to look it up right now, but it offered the kind of flexibility the cool kids are finding in the Raspberry Pi these days. But I haven't heard it mentioned in years now. Just concerned about the investment of time and money only to find out the thing is either disappearing or isn't extensible in the way I want it to be and then having to find something different. So what do you say to that? Well, speaking of old things and an X10, here's a X10 device from Radio Shack from <laughs> I think in the 1990s. Uh, this is a plug-in device and has little dials on the front of it. This was the precursor to uh, much of which much of what we use now in in the smart home world. And X10 actually is still used by some people. It's it's okay. I wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> it's all right. Um, in terms of trying to think of which to invest in or what spec to get. The answer here is, is the best answer I can say is that there are so many options these days that it largely has become uh, a, a consumer's market where if you ultimately, and if we, if we leave HomeKit out of this right now, just for the meantime, because HomeKit is kind of a walled garden, there aren't, necessarily, I got into a Twitter f- argument with someone the other day about this. There aren't as many HomeKit compatible devices as there are for other platforms out there. But if you look at um, the big platforms uh, in terms of smart home hubs that support the most technologies like Z-Wave, Zigbee, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, I'm not going to say Thread, but I know that Wink supports one of the other ones. Um Wink and SmartThings both support, these are smart home hub devices that, you know, you physically connect to your network and then they wirelessly connect to all your things. They support a plethora, like a gigantic amount of devices. I actually have a SmartThings hub. I use it uh, just as a relay to get, because I have a rather complicated home automation system. (laughs) I use SmartThings as a relay to get commands back and forth to different devices. But the advantage that SmartThings has over Wink, and it sounds like this, um, you have to remind me of <laughs> the name of the person, Allison. Nick. Um, so it sounds like, Nick, that if you're into, if you're thinking about maybe jumping into doing things in, in the Raspberry Pi uh, world, which you easily can, and there's a huge home automation community with Raspberry Pi and open source software and the, uh, the Home Assistant platform, which it's a kind of home automation controller that's an open source software. But for something like a physical smart home hub, SmartThings has the advantage of, A, yes, it has many of the radios on board, so you can pick which which sort of sexy, fun-looking, uh, and, and useful smart home devices that you want. Um, but because they have all the radios on board, even if um, they have a developer platform, that's basically my point. So they have the radios on board. You may want a certain device that may not work with smart things or may not have been certified to work with smart things but but as long as it is supported in terms of the radio say like a z-wave device which smart things has a z-wave on board you can download because there's a huge developer community for smart things you can download uh, basically a device driver um, to make that device work and i'll give you an example of that joe can can i stop here i am completely lost so i I, I'm I I don't even understand where we've where we've gone here. It's it's I thought your answer would be something like, well, 
Amazon is way ahead. Uh, you probably don't want to buy stuff that only has compatibility with one of Amazon, Google, or or um, Apple. Do you, do you want me to restart? I guess no, I... no, 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 no. Okay. This confusion is very good because this is part oh, of the okay. problem. I no, He keeps okay. thinking that I edit my show. You can That's edit right. your video, but I'm not <laughs> okay. editing the audio. No, no, because this is really good. So I would have thought that you would have said, uh, okay, uh, get something, look at devices and make sure they support Amazon. They can support Google or they can support uh, Apple, but don't get anything that only supports Apple. Don't get anything. Well, maybe you want to get something that only supports Google, but you can get these devices. But it appears at this point in time that that Amazon's not going anywhere anytime soon. They are owning this market. And so I would have said, start with, you know, get an Amazon dot for 39 bucks and start playing around. Get a light bulb, you know, throw those two things together. And actually, I would have said that to Frank, too. You have started talking about things I don't know and even know what you're talking about. What do you mean Z-Wave <laughs> and Zigbee and and, well, and I, well, when when the question started to ask about like what do I buy into in terms of specs or systems or so forth, and in, in my world, even though many of us uh, and yourself included, you know, feel that Amazon and Google are kind of making home automation systems they really aren't making home automation systems. They're just assistant devices at this point. And they're kind of like home automation light. But they're the, hubs. Yeah. They are. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just not a hundred percent sold on that voice is going to be everything to us, even though I do use it for a portion of what I do in my daily life. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying the voice part. I'm saying like, like, I've got an Apple TV, which is a HomeKit hub. Because that exists, if I never spoke to my devices at all, I've got an app on my phone and I can do things from that. I can turn turn my lights on and off of my phone and do all, you know, unlock my door. That's because I have a HomeKit hub, which is my Apple TV. Same thing with right. my Amazon Echo. I can do things. I could add skills. I don't, but I could add skills to that and have it control things. Whether I use voice or not, those are HomeKit, those are uh, home automation hubs. What is this whole other set of tech you're talking about? Well, the the tech is the behind the scenes. This is the the we can call it the the non sexy tech, the the things that people don't want to to worry about. But this is this is what here. Let me say this: before the Amazon Echo debuted, before we really got into what we're thinking, and, and it's before HomeKit debuted as well, people were concerned about. Well, if I buy this device, does it work with this hub, right? So right, right. you were talking about, I buy this device and does it work with Amazon? But remember that uh, the Amazon Echo, the Google Assistant um, are not the same. They really don't have the same capabilities in terms of controlling everything like you can with HomeKit. HomeKit, you at least can have an app that you can build your scenes and control your devices directly and, and make your adjustments and have automations. Um, Google and Amazon are in catch-up mode. You can do voice control, and that's great. And you can now you can have scenes and and some actions. Uh, both Amazon and Google now support um, some kind of routines where you can create like a wake-up routine or a good night routine. But they're kind of catching up to the rest of the world. Um, Amazon and Google don't support automations for sensors. You can't like like you love your um, the Hue motion sensor. There is no way right now, uh, and I, I say this with pretty pretty 100% certainty, um, with Amazon, with the Echo, and with Google, 
you can't attach wirelessly, you can't attach like sensors to those devices and have your smart home like turn on lights, you know, based on motion. It just doesn't work. The way the Hue motion sensor talks through the home hub to be affected by my uh, door lock, that can't be done through Amazon? No. Oh. Because Amazon and Google are largely, even though they have Bluetooth on board and, and Amazon makes sort of a smart home hub that's really smart home light um really don't have anything that can support true automation in the sense of like we were talking about in the background of you know event a just happens and and some devices react to something okay so that's why you're talking about dedicated hubs i'm talking about it because it sounded like the question and this is kind of you know i'm I'm definitely a techie guy, so I, I think about that first. And I, I, I heard the question, I heard specs and so forth, and I heard Raspberry Pi. So I'm like, okay, this guy sounds like he wants to get his hands dirty and start installing, you know, programs and writing code and so forth. So I'm like, that's kind of where I'm going to direct the question. But if your if your angle is voice first, then and you really want to do everything with voice, then absolutely jump into the the Google and the Amazon world because, of course it's not going to be long until they really do catch up and they, one of them is going to release some sort of actual smart home hub. Um, I can't imagine that their smart home strategy is going to rely on third-party vendors uh, entirely. And if you look at Amazon's acquisitions lately, uh, especially with, you know, Ring coming on board, um, I mean, they can't buy smart things because it's owned by, it's owned by uh, Samsung at this point. But I have a feeling that Amazon and or Google are going to have to come up with some sort of actual hub device because again like i said you can't do these rules you can't you can't have sensors there's just no way to do it um but i'm shocked i i i haven't heard of anything that uh that homekit does better than uh uh, so here's the flip side of the coin and here's the part where it's confusing so now that i kind of talked about that and then you told me oh my god i'm so confused let me confuse you even more so the great thing, of course, about Amazon, uh, the Amazon Echo and Google Assistant is, is that they do work with all of these devices, many devices like Wi-Fi. Like I mentioned, um, this iDevices switch, uh, which is a little plug-in on-off device. Um, this came out and first worked only with HomeKit. Then the company actually added support for Google Assistant and uh, Lady A to it as well. So you can directly ask one of those, any of the three voice services, hey, turn this thing on or off. Um, and um, those voice platforms, I'll, I'll just refer, you know, in terms of Google and Amazon, also work with home automation hubs like SmartThings, like Wink, like um, a, a number of other platforms, including Philips Hue for smart lighting. And I could go on and on and on. So you can tie the voice control into those platforms um, to to get you more of the way there in terms of having that automation because there's something nice even though it's more of direct control walking through your house and just saying to the you know to the to the air basically hey so and so turn on the lights or you know turn off the lights or set away mode that becomes kind of like I wouldn't exactly call it automation kind of happening in the background but because you can say something and forget about it immediately and assume it'll work. It's, it's very helpful. Okay. Um, uh, really quickly, uh, two things. I verified what he just said, cause I didn't believe it was possibly true, but here is someone from the Hue developer support team backing up what he just said that, no, you can't do that with the Alexa from the, uh, the Hue, uh, uh, sensors. 
And uh, that was in December of last year. So that's pretty new. Um, the other thing is that uh, Smart Things has been apparently bought by Samsung. Oh, three years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. But they, they recently announced uh, a number of uh, new initiatives. They're kind of combining, they're trying to center all of the Samsung connected devices and appliances under the Smart Things brand, under the okay. Smart Things app, try to make that simpler. I guess they have this whole ecosystem all the all these separate devices you, know, but you would think all the times we've talked about hubs that i would have figured out what you were talking about but now i finally understand no worries no worries it, it, this is a it's a very complicated and wide subject uh, when you really get into the details of it but when you add voice control to these hubs and you have the hubs that can have wireless sensors like this this is a little it looks like a little eyeball and actually when it goes off there's actually a little it almost kind of looks like a little cat's eye. Um, this is a Z-Wave sensor from Fibaro. This is connected to my SmartThings hub. And when I'm away and the home is set into a way mode that this um, detects motion, number one, I get an alert on my phone. Number two, the entire place with lighting and sound and klaxons from Star Trek, the whole place goes into red alert mode. So it'll probably scare off any kind of burglar. Um, but this is a Z-Wave sensor. And this does not natively work with SmartThings, but the radio works with the SmartThings hub. And I simply downloaded a little device driver and was able to get it to work um, relatively simply. So this is my sort of roundabout answer is, you know, that if you really want to get into the smart home and, and home automation and do it right, and you're not reliant on voice control, you don't want to just stick with voice control for everything. You can you can get into something like a smart things platform and have a enorm relatively enormous um, device selection that you can pick things based on. I like this device's features, um, and and you know you can do some searches uh, in the smart things forums to see that uh, is has someone made a um, a actual a little device handler for it. So if, let, let me uh, back them up on this. I'm looking at integrations on smart things and uh, it's got uh, iPhone, Android, Google assistant, Amazon Alexa. It's got the uh, Apple watch. Uh, Garmin watches can talk to it. Eve connect, uh, Samsung connect for Android. Uh, the four, uh, the Google home and the, the, all of the Alexa, the smart assistants, uh, 54 different lights and switches, 26 outlets, uh, 28 sensors, seven cameras, 20 door locks, thermostat speakers. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So that's so what just, you're talking about. So by going into something like SmartThings, and maybe you mentioned another company too, but SmartThings is talking all of the different technologies. So it's talking Z-Wave and Zigbee and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth? Exactly. And Wink, uh, Wink and Smart Things generally, and I say this kind of with air quotes, generally support uh, officially support uh, many of the same or similar devices because they basically have the various radios, and each hub goes about the the process of how you automate or connect, you know, something wirelessly to the hub is a little bit different naturally. Smart Things do, does does have the developer platform that you can extend the functionality. So if, if you want to set up a device that isn't on that list, that, that uh, I almost called you Lady A, that Allison, <laughs> Allison was just describing, if something's not on the list and you do want to get into code and you want to kind of get into the, the nitty gritty details, details of this stuff, you can grab a device handler and make stuff work. And you can do a lot more 
uh, than just that. Like we don't have enough time for me to describe everything smart is for. You don't want to uh, let let uh, Joe go down into that rat hole, that's for sure. Well, th- I'm really glad Nick asked this question because this opened my eyes to a completely different part of this. So if they were to buy, if Nick were to get a SmartThings Hub or a Wink, um, depending on how nerdy they wanted, he wanted to get, you don't have to choose a side because of right. those. You're not going to get tied in. If if Zigbee goes away, that's still a useful uh, uh, a useful technology, right? And both Zigbee and Z-Wave, they're very, very similar technologies. They do essentially the same thing. They go about it a little bit differently. And there's the Z-Wave camp and the Zigbee camp, and people will argue to, to no end. You generally tend to see a lot more Zigbee smart lights um, and more Z-Wave, say, sensors and smart plugs and so forth. But there are a, a lot of devices for for both. So the the, the theory with this is... Uh, try to buy into some sort of platform that supports the widest variety of devices. And this is why the, there's a challenge with Apple HomeKit. Not that it's a terrible platform, but it's kind of grown slowly and everything is kind of up to Apple. Whereas these other platforms are designed to be open. They want to work with a lot of different devices. Um, maybe they don't have the absolute crazy rock solid, insane encryption and security that Apple prides itself on. but Again, if Z-Wave and Zigbee operate within your home, they're not designed to be like Wi-Fi. They're not communicating outside your home. And mm-hmm. in general, I will also say that you probably don't have neighbors that are like snooping on your on your Zigbee and Z-Wave networks and trying to hack your lights. I mean, certainly I've got plenty of these things. I'm sure my place like radiates <laughs> very <laughs> signals and i haven't been hacked either um, but, but are you saying that if you use the SmartThings hub then you can't control devices from the internet oh yes you can absolutely they have an app and 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 i'm not i'm not saying that i'm just saying that the in terms of security uh of of communications from the hub to the devices it's short range there's no issue and generally the security i mean it, it's a secure link between the app and the hub um, so I really, Apple's just been very, very, like we've talked about before, they've just been super clear on that HomeKit is insanely encrypted and it's completely private and they don't know who you are. Um, with Samsung and with Wink, you know, you have to sign up for an account and, and and it may not go through the same privacy practices that, say, Apple does. I'm not saying that those platforms are terrible or that they've been hacked or anything like that. Uh, I'm just saying that there it's are a decision the, you need to make different decisions. If you're all, if you're all in on Apple, you may just want to live in the home kit world. But again, home kit, you can't, you can't, unless you really want to get your hands dirty and develop your own devices. You can't, um, you know, with your iPhone, you can't download a device driver and, and make, you know, I can't take this Z wave sensor and make it home kit compatible. Right. You know, uh, unless I, take this thing apart and even then i'm just going to be happy sitting in my little walled garden with my uh completely insecure d-link HomeKit compatible webcam <laughs> that's that's a as, as you said before that's, that's sort of a very round robin way to kind of get to that answer but yeah. sometimes more these uh, questions can be kind of complicated for to answer it and and again like i said earlier there isn't always a silver bullet magic one size fits all solution for everybody in this okay. space. I uh, I was going to give you zero points on this one, but you pulled it out at the at the midpoint there. <laughs> all right, let's go on to uh, John Daniel Sunday. Kind of asks a broad question. We may have answered a lot of this. He says, honestly, don't know where to start with HomeKit. 
have Ecobee and Ratio, I guess it's pronounced. That's the smart sprinkler system, but never use HomeKit. Need uh, a what problem does it solve intro? There we go. Well, without knowing, without knowing a little bit more about your your home and your your needs, I may not be able to uh, offer you know precise advice. But like I think Allison, he's saying, what what problem does HomeKit solve? I think is what he meant. Well, HomeKit is a home automation platform. It solves the the same problem potentially as other platforms, which is automating and making uh, making your life a little bit more convenient and perhaps less stressful. Uh, like and you, integrating you things, things less friction. Um, but it, it does it does beg the question of where to start. Maybe again the like the smart lock category of maybe unlocking your door is too much effort or you would like to have it unlocked for you uh, as you approach. Uh, there are numerous now uh, smart home, smart locks compatible with HomeKit uh, and other platforms. That's hey, a great one. I've got, I've got one. So uh, John has uh, Ecobees and uh, the Ratio. You can tell by how humid it is out and uh, whether you need to uh, sprinkle. You could set up some scenes that talked about temperature, external temperature and things, you know? What I think I just, I, I sort of ignored, <laughs> I did ignored those two, two, those two items that he had, the Ecobee and the Rachio, or is it Rachio? I don't um, know. It's R-A-C-H-I-O-S. I've been trying to convince Steve that we need one of those. Maybe now that we've got all this other automation going, he will. But I mean, you know, it has information about where you're located, whether it's raining. I mean, I think the Rachio probably does a lot of that on its own. But uh, you could throw in a hue light and it could light up when your sprinklers go off. Absolutely. Solving um, no problem at all. <laughs> right. Sometimes, yeah, these don't, don't always solve a problem. The Rocchio is, or Rocchio, um is uh, basically the top rated uh, smart sprinkler controller that's out on the market. Um, some, some people, there's always different opinions on these products. Uh, it's also one of the higher priced options. Um, but in terms of connectivity and what it does, it downloads all the rain kind of data and tries to predict when it's going to need to water uh, and adjust its uh, cycles. Um, and, and apparently, it, it, I, I do believe it does work um, with, I don't think it's HomeKit compatible uh, at this point. Oh, it uh, isn't. I don't believe so. Okay. I will keep searching while uh, while you talk about it. Let's see. It's not. Um, it is compatible with, I believe, Google Assistant and Lady A if you want voice control. But generally, again, like, we, like we've had before we had smart sprinkler systems for many years, you set up a schedule and you hoped that it would function as, as programmed and you sort of forget about it. Um, the ideal thing with these smart sprinkler controllers is detecting changes in weather or uh, hooking up hooking up a rain sensor to it. So as soon as it's raining and if the sprinklers happen to be uh, imminently uh, sprinkling or um, or are at that moment, they'll turn off, which, of course, is a water savings, especially for somewhere here in Phoenix uh, or again in Southern California. Uh, but it's generally always a good idea to try to save water. Unless it rains like, you know, 44 inches of rain a year in your location, which you probably don't have sprinklers. But um, well, Orbit, rock- Orbit just added uh, HomeKit compatibility to their sprinkler system at uh, they announced at CES in January. Yes. And I think it should be shipping uh, for HomeKit compatibility. You either had to buy a new a new one or you had to get this special hub device. Ah. I think those are shipping now. They, don't want they- more hubs. No I- more hubs. I'm over hubs. I'm and, out of ports on my uh, on my switch. 
Yeah. It can be a little bit of a challenge. And, and like we talked about with the August, um, that has its own uh, Wi-Fi kind of uh, bridge device. A lot of these, and it really annoyed me that um, that Orbit had to do this and they had to introduce yet another hub. But this is the, it's a, if we get into the technical details for 20 seconds, it's a standards issue where there isn't a universal way to bridge Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. And oh. this is why you tend to have like, I've got this thing and it's got a Bluetooth bridge. I've got this other thing and it's got its own Bluetooth bridge. It, they, they do add up, um, but we're waiting on the newest Bluetooth specs, uh, which is Bluetooth 5, uh, along with Bluetooth mesh. Um, we should start to see the results of all of that effort and all the new technology that's built into Bluetooth 5 over the next probably 12 to 18 months, because it's supposed to solve this issue of that we have all these separate little translation devices. Um, Okay, good, good. We'll see. Well, I think it's better that they make that hub available so your old one isn't obsolete. That's sure. better than not having that. I think that's a good idea. All right, we've got, uh, we have one from a gentleman, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right, Steve Sheridan, I think his you, name is. You might know him. All right, he says, I would like to know if Joe thinks the smart home platform options are converging or diverging. I hope to see more centralized control and interaction for better coordination amongst uh, smart home devices, but things seem to be diverging with so many options available. And that's a good question. And I get this, I get this sort of question on a regular basis from my viewers. And here's the challenge. We, we're seeing a couple things happen. If you, if you take us back about four years ago, five years ago, before the Amazon Echo came out and we started moving into this voice world, you had these separate, you know, platforms, uh, smart things had barely just launched. Wink was coming around at that time. You had some of these smart home controllers. Uh, and if they were good, like I said, they supported numerous types of radio. So you could, um, you could have, you know, various devices. See, there's my fridge. It just turned on. <laughs> the, like, uh, I was actually on. just looking at the clock going, uh-oh. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, um, I think we're seeing what we're really seeing now is more of this platform potential platform lock-in. We really haven't seen in the past couple of years, say smart things, smart things and wink haven't done anything lately to like reduce the number of radios or reduce the number of devices that they support. Uh, the home kit platform has been expanding, but again, it's controlled largely by Apple and you have to go through Apple as a gatekeeper and the the walls are up so high that it can be a challenge for for manufacturers. Um, and then you now have, you have um, Google, which owns Nest, of course. You now have Amazon, which is scooping up <laughs> smart home companies left and right. The, they've got their own platforms. You have, um, and specifically I talk about Nest within Google because Nest used to only have a thermostat. Then they added about a year afterward or so, they added the uh, Nest Protect smoke detector. And then last fall, they added like a plethora of devices. They have cameras now. They have security. They have a security system. They're 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 a version of the uh, wireless uh, video doorbell just started shipping. They even have a smart lock, but the Nest smart lock only works with the Nest system. The Nest video doorbell, as far as we know at this point, only works with Nest products. Now, Nest itself, like the thermostat. Sure, you can control it from Amazon, 
you can control it from, you can link it up to smart things. So some of it is open to other things, but they've now started introducing these products that are only compatible with their own stuff. Mm. And this is my concern that we're going to start seeing more and more companies because they have to make a name for themselves and they have to keep shipping more devices to kind of stay in business. I'm not that concerned about Nest because they're owned by Google and Google has plenty of money. But of course, they're they're probably going to try to have that company, you know, stay profitable within its own realm. But Google Uh, also loses interest. Well, they They see a new shiny toy and they just move along. So we're bored with that. Uh Got about that. Um, So my concern is we're starting to see uh, platforms get more and more kind of device lock-in. And I don't know that it's really, that could be that what Steve is was referring to in terms of divergence. Um, ideally, in my world, what I would want is that every device is compatible with every platform. But that doesn't always go with company policies and, and how to make profits and to keep selling you know units. Uh, because then it would be, well, I can pick my favorite thermostat, but then everyone's going to want this thermostat to connect with this other thing. So to keep selling more units of your own brand, you want everyone to stick with your own stuff. But then again, Nest doesn't make smart light bulbs. They don't make they don't make um, fancy little fun uh, buttons like this uh, Z-Wave button from Fibaro that works with smart things. So it's we're, we are in a weird world. You know, his question was, "Have are they diverging or or uh, converging?" Well, like I said, I think we're seeing some. I, the divergence I think we're seeing is that you're starting to see just more products slowly become compatible with their own little product lines, or they have a preference for staying within their own world. Uh, that's my concern. Um, take take here's here's another good example of this. Your your iDevices switch, right? This is a good product. Um, you can control this by voice. And for you, Allison, you can also control this with HomeKit. Um, you can go in and into your home app and and press a button manually to have this turn on and off. But this isn't compatible with smart things or Wink or several other home automation systems. It is literally locked to the voice platforms and HomeKit, and that's it. And again, huh. iDevices iDevices could choose to call up smart things and say, hey, we'd love to work with you guys. There's no real reason they can't, but they've chosen to do. They've chosen not to allow that for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe I should call up their CEO and, and find, find out what, what their uh, future plans are and why they've d- decided to do this. It could also be simplicity because once the, once the voice platforms had launched and, and Amazon and Google saw just how popular voice is and how easy it is to sell these products that'll, you know, obviously serve a smart home purpose, but also play your music and help you with your, you know, your calendar and, and tie into your, into your, you know, your iPhone or your Android world. They saw the popularity of this and also the, the smart home companies saw the popularity of these products. And so they've probably angled toward that to say, we're just going to produce devices that work with these voice platforms. It could be that down the road, two, three, four, five years down the road, these platforms decide that, yeah, we need to open up further. But I am, again, I'm starting to see this, um, he calls it divergence. I I guess that's a good word for it. Um, I I call it a little bit of platform lock-in that you just, you can't use A with B or you can use B with C, but not A. And it just, 
it aggravates me. But then again, I want everything to work with everything. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's funny. I would have said uh, my answer to that would have been it's absolutely converging and it's converging all uh, under Amazon. That would have been my simple answer to it. So you gave a lot more uh, depth and fabric to that than than my answer definitely would have been. All right. We've got our last question. You ready? I'm ready. David Roth says, is Apple paying enough attention to HomeKit and third-party integrations? I understand the security issues, and I'm willing to suffer some lack of speedy integration in the name of better security. But all that said, can Apple catch up, keep up in the race to be your one control interface for the home? Is it a high enough priority? Well, we're gonna we're gonna see. Um, no, nope, sorry, yes or no? That's all you get. <laughs> I'm just <kidding>. maybe. <laughs> I would say that Apple's done. Uh, I, I would say that Apple learned last year that they had to uh, they had to catch up, and that HomeKit was not uh, rolling out fast enough for for most consumers and for the market, and that device makers and or consumers could easily get bored with it if it didn't do as much as it needed to do. Um, the big news, I think you and I discussed this. I think we did this while we're recording. If not, we did it before the, we were, we, just, we started recording the show. Uh, iOS 11.3, which came out just a few days ago, enabled the ability for companies to add um, HomeKit to devices that don't have the special HomeKit chipset. Yeah, Apple I, th- I think you did say that in here, but that's really good to bring us back to that because that could accelerate this if companies aren't already burned and like, ah, I'm over you, I've moved on, I'm on Google and, and uh, Amazon. And it'll make it, uh, there's obviously, there's a cost, you know, manufacturers do not have to buy the chipsets. They don't have to, they can they can take existing products uh, potentially and bring them into the HomeKit world. And, and do they work. still have to get approval from Apple though? I believe so. Any device that is not certified um, with Apple will display a warning. Like I have a, to make a very brief uh Quick example: I have a home auto, uh, a HomeKit emulation program that runs on my Mac, and it's tied to my home automation server called Indigo, um, and it makes Indigo's devices visible to HomeKit. But when I connect to it for the first time, it says this HomeKit thing is is not like certified with Apple uh, because it wasn't. Um, so it's possible. Uh, one thing that Apple did last year as well made it so hobbyists could also make like. Raspberry Pi devices and so forth compatible with HomeKit just for fun. But generally, if someone's going to be making a commercial product, they've got to get approval for Apple. They've got to get it certified and then that warning doesn't show up and they can use the logo on their packaging. So I think the software uh, authentication uh, and not requiring that hardware is going to open it up. We actually it, it can't saw- hurt. It can't hurt. LifeX actually was uh, had an interesting thing. LifeX introduced the third generation of their uh, smart light bulb about a year and a half ago. And it was interesting because they rushed it. I don't say they rushed it. They wanted to get it out the door, but the software for HomeKit wasn't finished. They actually had the hardware on board, but the software wasn't done. So they actually were the first company that they shipped a product that was HomeKit enabled. And then uh, six months later, they pushed out a firmware update and they pushed out a whole little guide uh, and, and enabled a software HomeKit process where you could turn on the HomeKit feature. Um, but they had the hardware on board. So it was an interesting, it was kind of like I, looking at their process of how they rolled it out to consumers was probably how it would work for uh, existing devices that you would go through. Because they had, you know how on HomeKit that you generally have to scan that code or you have to put that. Yeah, um, yeah. Brick. They had to provide a software ability to get that code because when they shipped the product, 
they didn't have the codes on they didn't have the labels that's funny they weren't quite ready yet uh, but the hardware was done so kind of a roundabout way i think um home will expand we'll see more announcements um at, at wwdc um i think with with giving the ability for manufacturers to integrate easier and if it does have the what many people hope to be sort of the, the spillover effect that we'll have a bunch of announcements come up um, probably around WWDC because announcements kind of like to have that, you know, the, the, these big tech announcements, these big conferences are kind of like the tide that kind of uh, raises all boats. Um, so <laughs> see uh, hardware announcements, um, manufacturer announcements around WWDC. If on the other hand, if, because like you and I have just talked about on this show that Apple doesn't, if they don't kind of fix some of these issues with the home app, they don't kind of fix. There was a uh, story uh, just, I think today um, uh, by Jeff Gamet in um, the Mac observer who says he's done with HomeKit, um, and he's decided to go with lady a, if mm-hmm. Apple doesn't fix a few of these things and make some really good improvements to the capabilities of HomeKit this summer, I think they're going to run into trouble because consumers will get bored with it. Developers and manufacturers will get bored with it and they'll just say, we're moving on. Interesting. Well, uh, I certainly hope they pay attention to it because I like it and I like the integrations and I've uh, certainly had a lot of fun with it. So I, um, I hope the first thing happens. And like you said, it can't hurt that they're doing the uh, software capability to do it. So hopefully, you know, if, if I were in, in the business of making a home automation device, it would, I think it'd be a really, really hard choice. Cause on the one hand, you can make any piece of junk you want and you can have a, an, an Alexa skill for it and it'll, it'll work. Um, you can, you might, you might sell a million of them because you're going to get a lot because there's a huge, huge audience and it, you didn't have a lot of trouble getting it started. On the other hand, if you get into the Apple ecosystem, you get really high value customers who spend a lot of money. And so you, you get a different kind of audience. Uh, you can charge more for stuff. People pay more for it. So that would, but if it takes you forever, it takes you six extra months to get your product out and you got to feed your kids. It's a different problem, right? It is. The one thing we haven't really talked about, and we probably don't even need to talk about it that much because it hasn't really been that big of a thing, even after it launched, was the HomePod, uh, which, of course, is Apple's smart. Yeah, let's not go down that whole path. It's too late in the show here, I think. Speaker with a side of Siri that I think it does HomeKit. (laughs) Yeah, but it only does pieces of it. Uh, yeah. It only does things where you wouldn't ever have to look at it. So it's got a whole lot of, I can't do that for you. I'm sorry, yeah. Dave, I can't do that. That's right. So maybe we'll see announcements with that at WWDC as well. Well, yeah. Watch yeah. The yeah. All right. Well, uh, this has been really fun. I enjoyed uh, doing both sides of this. Uh, these were great questions, and I certainly learned a lot. Like I said, as many times as we've talked, I uh, am amazed at how much more I continue to learn from you, Joe. Thank you. And, and thank you to your audience for, for submitting these great questions. And um, it's been, we've been going for about an hour and a half now. So really, really good episode, really good information. We could have squeezed two out of this. Well, anyway, well, uh, why don't you tell the uh, maybe one or two people who don't still know, uh, where can people find you? They can find me at uh, the best place is uh, you can go to smarterhomelife.com. That will direct you to the uh, various articles and posts that I've written on the smart home and ho- all things home automation and smart lighting and all that stuff. Uh, the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash smarterhomelife. And uh, as I'll go into after kind of we conclude here, um, I haven't created a ton of content lately, but there is a, 
there are about 200 videos on there. So there's plenty for you to watch, even though a weeks or so forth since I made a new episode. And the nice thing is they're not excessively uh, uh, serious. That's for sure. Some of them are definitely not serious. Some of them, the, the non-serious ones, you appear to be in some of the non-serious ones. <laughs> there might be some trend there. Well, do you need me to wind up for your audience then? Uh, sure. All right. Uh, I'm Allison Sheridan, and I run the Podfeet podcast over at podfeet.com. The uh, No Cellacast is my weekly show. been going on in May. It will be 13 years I've been going. Haven't missed an episode since... I think like uh, the first month or so, there was a, a little gap in there. And other than that, there have been no gaps in all that time. And then the other show is uh, Chit Chat Across the Pod, where I talk to interesting people like Joe. And you can find all those podcasts and the blog posts that come out. Uh, there's a lot of blogging going on, too, over at podfeet.com. Well, thank you so much for having me on your channel and or your your channel your, i mean, I'm on your website and you're on my YouTube channel. And I'm so confused. Awesome. Thank you for having me on your show, too. Likewise, Allison. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal. Or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.